Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Uh, our scripture reading this morning for saints and sinners uh, can be found, our first scripture is on page 1,772 in your pew Bibles. We'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Page 1772 in your pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I will follow Paul. Another, I will follow Apollos. Another, I will follow Cephas. Still another, I will follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. Our second scripture reading can be found on page 1500. It is the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on Jesus Begin to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The calling of the first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
us pray. God, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts. May all that we are and all that we have be open and ready to receive what it is you would give each one of us. And God, may we not only hear, may we not only take in, but may we follow. Just like those first disciples, may we be ready to drop everything to follow Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know how many times as a kid and as a teenager and then even in college, I heard that question. How many of you have been on the receiving end of that question? Maybe recently. What do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you have asked that question to somebody else? What do you want to be when you grow up? All around us, overtly and implicitly, all the time are questions about identity. See, in that question, what do you want to be when you grow up, really is, who who are you? What is your identity? I remember getting that question so much as a little kid. Even as I remember being in kindergarten and walking down the hallway of the Machias Valley Baptist Church, which housed my school, my kindergarten. And I remember this lady coming up to me, taking my head in her hands and pinching my cheeks. Like, goodness, how often we violate kids' space, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? Grab my cheeks, and I remember kind of backing away in fear. I mean, this was in the in the late 80s, early 90s, she had big hair. You know when that big hair was a thing? Took a half a bottle of hairspray to hold it up? She had big hair. And I remember she got in my face and said, oh, you're so cute. What do you want to be when you grow up? I, I don't know. I really want to eat some graham crackers. I don't know. I remember getting that question again, probably not too long after that. You know what I said? I said, I want to be a preacher. I remember one of my, probably other than that memory and a couple others, an early, early childhood memory, as far back as my mind can take me. I was outside along the road, and I grew up uh, at the end of nowhere, and some people just use that hyperbolically. I really mean it. It was the end of nowhere. We didn't have guardrails on the road. There was a stump with wires strung to the next stump, as if that's going to stop a car from going off, uh, off the road into the ravine. I would get behind that stump, and I remember talking about Noah and the flood, or Jonah and being swallowed by the whale, and, and, and talking about and then smacking the top of that stump with my hand. I grew, up, I grew up in a Baptist church, and they were emphatic when they preached. So I remember I would, I would hit the top of that thing, talking about Jonah and Noah. And, um, so preaching was sort of always, I was surrounded by it all the time, and I guess it made sense when someone asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? That was my frame of reference for a little five or six-year-old, I said, I want to be a preacher. Well, I strayed from that calling quite a bit in my formative years and in college, and I guess eventually came back to it, because here I am in front of you about to preach a sermon. What do you want to be when you grow up? I think there's a danger in that question. 
as if what we do is who we are. What do you want to be when you grow up? Often when we meet somebody for the first time, what's maybe a question that we ask by way of getting to know them? What do you, what do, you do? What do you do? How much worth we lay into that question? Consider this, you're meeting somebody for the first time, and they say, I'm, a, I'm the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That's impressive. That's impressive. I don't know, what what'd you say, Carol? Oh, that's, oh uh, Janet, that's too much work. Yeah. I think a lot of us share that sentiment, Janet. Or you meet someone for the first time. What do you do? I collect trash for Brick Township. Oh, okay. Nice. Our culture around us tends to emphasize and give worth and meaning to certain types of people and maybe not so much to other types of people. And by what they do, we so often measure somebody's worth. What is it that you do? What do you want to be when you grow up? In those questions of identity, the world around us in my estimation, gets it completely wrong. Your worth and who you are, your identity, is not fully and completely defined by what you do. See, friends, that's a lie that the culture around us gives us at every time, is that, is that we create, we manufacture our own identity. But for Christians, people who follow Jesus, our identity, our worth is not defined in anything that we can do. It is what God in Christ has already done for us and on our behalf. That's the thing from which our identity flows and comes and is developed. It's what God has done for us. Not anything that we can do on our own. What do you want to be when you grow up? How do you think Peter and James and John might have answered that question? What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm doing it. Very likely they grew up in a household where their father was, were also fishermen. And probably their fathers before them. This was an area and a time and place and a culture where your options were not nearly as vast as they might be for some of us today. And so probably whether they liked it or not, that's what they became. Fishermen. Jesus comes along. He says, come follow me. That's their identity. See, friends, no matter what it is that you have ended up doing in your life, or whether you're still sitting here trying to figure that out, what you're going to be when you grow up, what you might do, Our scripture lesson, this encounter with these first disciples whom Jesus called, tells us everything we need to know about identity. Our identity flows from the one who calls us to follow, no matter what it is that we do. See, I I doubt that you all are going to stop your occupations and live a life of asceticism out around, uh, you know, who knows, the reservoir praying all day. 
We've got to work. We have, we have jobs to do. We have families to take care of. We have responsibilities. And yet, even in the middle of all that, there's someone who walks along the shores of our lives and says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. You're a lawyer. You work in a school. You're retired. You're in school. That's great. Come and follow me in the middle of all of that. Why? Even today, why is it important that we still answer the call of the one who beckons us to follow. You know, this scripture that that Tom read for us from Matthew contains a bit of the prophet Isaiah. The scripture can sort of be divided up into two pieces. We we, we see that Jesus uh, goes to a particular area, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the area of Capernaum, which was a, a big major hub in the ancient world. Capernaum was a city that kind of connected some of the trade coming in from from Western Asia and then going down into what we would call the modern-day Middle East and then into Egypt. It was a big area. That was located in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And why is that area important? Well, if you remember your Old Testament, if you go back to to Genesis and Exodus and then into, into the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, we find that uh, Jacob, one of the patriarchs, had 12 sons. And eventually, when the people of God land, uh, end up in the land of Canaan, after having wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, they don't immediately go to um, you know, judges or kings eventually, you know, the big kings, Solomon and David and Saul. They land by tribes in that area. And in the northern area of the promised land in which they settle was the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, two of Jacob's sons. And their tribes, their clan, those people who descend from Zebulun and Naphtali settle in that northern area. And you know what happens not long after they settle in that area? The Assyrian Empire comes in from the northeast, swoops in, takes people off into captivity. For Israel's history, that was marked as an incredibly dark, depressing, terrible time. It was a a time that got told about in stories generation after generation after generation. This time of horrible darkness when God's people were carried away into captivity by this pagan empire. People who didn't follow Yahweh. And so you find in the Old Testament people wondering, when when was God going to make things right? How long would the people have to live in darkness and depression? When when would God establish His people and keep them safe from oppression and injustice? And the prophet Isaiah speaks that even in the midst of darkness, which Naphtali and Zebulun came to represent, that eventually a light would come, that God would do something new, and that God would save his people. Friends, there may be no Assyrian empire today, but there are a thousand Assyrian empires everywhere we look, aren't there? The same force that that motivated the Assyrian Empire is still at work in the world today. 
We don't have to look very far around us or, 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 or look all that hard to see darkness and depression and evil run amok in our world. And it is into that sort of land, it is in that context that the Messiah comes and he finds ordinary, everyday people like you and like me. And he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and be a light in the darkness. Come and represent me in everything that you do. In the school, in in home, at work, at the grocery store. Come, be a light in the darkness. That's our identity, friends. That's it. I don't know how long I struggled in college Having joined a little Methodist church and finally realizing that, okay, I think I, I think I have found the place in which I can answer God's call. But oh, I struggled so long to get there. I, I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And how often I was racked with guilt that I might not quite be doing the thing that God had called me to do. I remember very clearly sitting with my pastor at the time, Pastor Betty in Subway at 9 o'clock over a meatball Parmesan sub. (laughs) Laying this out to her, this fear that maybe I wasn't doing the thing that God wanted me to do. And she looked at me and she said, Evan, are you a Christian? I said, well, yeah. She said, then you're doing the thing that God wants you to do. And in that moment, I felt this weight Lift off me. Because friends, it's not about um, a spiritual magic eight ball that we have to shake and find exactly the thing that God wants us to do. God wants us to do what we do and to follow Him in the middle of the thing that we do. Whatever it is you do. Maybe you work for a phone company. Maybe you teach in a school. Maybe you're retired. What you do does not define you, but God wants you to follow him in what you do and to serve him in that context. That's your identity. To follow the Messiah who brought light into the darkness and to be one who brings light into the innumerable Assyrias that are all around us. All around us. Friends, the call still goes out. We've heard it this morning. It echoes down through the ages. Come follow me. Come follow me. And friends, you may have made a decision long ago to embark on that journey to follow Jesus. And that is wonderful and good. But that doesn't get you off the hook. The call still comes to you every single day. Come follow me. Come follow me. It's a moment by moment, day by day choice to say yes to the one who brought light into our darkness. Amen. Amen.